It's who you are. Yesterday, today, and forever, you are the same. I love that song because it is such a wonderful description of who our Lord and Savior is, Jesus Christ. He is not changing. He is the same today, and He will be the same tomorrow. And He is worthy of all our trust, worthy of our praise. He is the Most High. He is King, and He is the one who is ruling and reigning. Well, it's Palm Sunday, and um, I'm supposing your wish is just like mine. Today is supposed to be a day where we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ and we get ourselves revved up for the Sunday that's about to come, Easter Sunday, where we celebrate. We celebrate after having recognized Christ on the cross, sacrificed for our sins, dead and buried, and then we bring it as we celebrate our risen and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. I wish, I wish, I wish we were together for that, but we're not. And so we're going to take full advantage of this that the Lord has given us. And I want to say right now that you are permitted to have food in the sanctuary. You can drink your coffee. You can eat your breakfast. And Kevin, our building manager, won't be upset with you. Hey, our current series is Real Gospel, Real Joy. And I want to remind you how we came to Real Gospel, Real Joy, how we came to this sermon series in Philippians last summer. If you will remember, your elders and staff, they were, they were fasting and they were praying, what is it, Lord, that our church needs to hear? And as we talked about some of the needs we saw around the, saw around the church, uh, one of the recurring themes was this. It was anxiety and worry. Varying degrees of people experiencing both anxiety and worry. And so that brought us to Philippians. And Philippians is a letter written to a church that is heavily focused on joy, riddled with, with things said about what it means to be joyful and how to be joyful. Well, while this is a pause in our current series for us to, to focus on God, our King, and His kingdom, while it's a pause, it still fits absolutely perfectly and I love to say this, our sovereign God clearly understood what we would need. As he put together our sermon series on Philippians, as he brought us to talking about him being the worthy king and his worthy kingdom, this little series here fits absolutely perfectly, and here's why. The real gospel, the real gospel, Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, that is our only access into the kingdom of God. That's the, that's the message, the gospel message. He is the only way into the kingdom. And real joy can only be, real and true, everlasting joy can only be experienced if we are in the kingdom. And so this series fits perfectly. Jasper and Charles spent time over the last two Sundays um, teaching us from Philippians chapter 4. And, and Jasper said this, we are to rejoice. We're to rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because He is at hand. Jesus is at hand. And so we have every reason to rejoice. Last week, Charles shared with us that we should be thinking rightly. And go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, and you'll see the things that we are supposed to think on. Think on. Our focus should be on those things that are worthy of praise. And there are two things that are very, very clearly worthy of praise. And number one, that is the kingdom of God. And number two, it's the one that's seated on his throne in that kingdom, King Jesus, the king himself. 
I want to share a problem I've had with you over the past month or so, and here's what I'm guessing. Um, you, can relate, you can relate to the things that I've struggled with. My temptation is to focus on things that are uncertain. That's tomorrow and next week and two months from now and a year from now. What's, what's going to happen? What's going to come of all of this? Uncertainty. That's my problem. What's going to happen with my family? What's going to happen to my church? What's going to happen to my job and the stock market and my health and, and on and on the list goes that drive me to places of uncertainty? Well, God has a solution for my problem and, that's, and this is it. He takes our minds, He takes my mind and he, he takes it to the things that are certain. He takes it to the things that are certain. The kingdom of God is certain. And so my study over this past week on the kingdom of God, my focus all week long was on his kingdom. And it has brought me a renewed hope in that which is certain. And it's this, no matter what we see going around, on around us, the most high, Jesus is still on his throne. And he is still on his throne in his glorious kingdom. And nothing happens apart from his permission. Here's my hope and my prayer for you that this message will energize you to think on that which is worthy of praise. Think about the things that are worthy of praise. I, it's my hope that this would renew your focus on things that are certain. And this is what is certain, that King Jesus is still on his throne and he is still on his throne in his glorious kingdom, ruling and reigning over everything. Nothing happens apart from his permission. And so as we get into today's message, let's pray together, church. Father, I do pray today, as we take this dive into your word, looking at what your kingdom is, I pray, Lord, it is my prayer that we would all walk away from this message today with our, with our hearts renewed and ready to rejoice. I pray, Lord, that our thoughts would, would, would go from things that are uncertain to the things that are certain, and that is you and your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on your church, wherever they are today, however they are um, interacting with this message today. I pray that you would pour yourself out on them. Unify your church, I pray, Lord Jesus, as we are apart. And now I pray, Lord, that you would stand between myself and the church and that you would declare your message, that nothing I do or say would be a distraction from what you intend to communicate to your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so take a moment right now and describe your own kingdom. This is what I would do. If you're asking me to describe my kingdom, this is where I start. I live at 17613 Duneside Drive in Grand Haven, Michigan. I live in a subdivision that's five minutes from everything. It's five minutes from the grocery store. It's five minutes from downtown Grand Haven. Perfect place to live. I have a four-bedroom house. I am a husband with four sons. And now I'm starting to spread beyond maybe what is my kingdom, but I'm going to claim them. With three daughters-in-law and four grandkids plus one on the way. I have bills to pay. I have a yard to keep. I have landscape to take care of, and I've only begun to tell you about my, my kingdom, what I would consider to be my kingdom, that God has entrusted to me. Now, here's the deal. We just got a new dog. He's like nine weeks old, and 
I understand now why the Lord has made puppies cute. I've been through this multiple times now. They are cute because if they weren't, they would not make it. They would not. And so I have this little dog that I'm responsible for, and then I'm reminded, the Most High has the cattle on a thousand hills. He is in charge of every beast of the field, every bird of the air. He is in charge of everything that lives in the sea. And he takes care of all of it perfectly. And I have this one little animal in my kingdom that drives me batty. And so that's why he's cute, because he needs to be. All right, let's look at, let's say the United States, for example, is a kingdom. I realize we're not, but let's say we are. And let's try and describe what the kingdom of the United States looks like. There are 50 states and a handful of territories. The federal authority structure looks like this. We have an executive branch that has the president and the vice president. We have a legislative branch, which is made up of the House of Representatives with 435 seats. And it also includes the Senate, which is 100 seats, two from each state. We have the Justice Department, which is made up of the Supreme Court of Justices. And then we have this whole list of departments, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Education, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, and on the list of departments go. And I've only, began, I've only begun to describe to you the structure of the governmental systems of our federal government. I haven't even started to talk about what our state governments look like and what our local governments look like. And that's only the governance of our country. What about our borders? To the north, we have Canada. To the south, we have, we have Mexico and the Gulf of Mexico. To the west, we have the Pacific. To the east, we have the Atlantic Ocean. We have boundaries. We are bound. We have 50 states with boundaries, counties, cities, and the list goes on and on. What would it take for us together, the sum of all of us, to describe what the kingdom of the United States looks like? I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Now, for just a moment, what if the sum of all of us had to provide an adequate and a right and an accurate description for what the kingdom of God looks like? I have to tell you the thought of preaching this sermon as the week moved on, my brain got more and more and more tired and muddy. It became so intimidating. The kingdom of God. How in the world can I cover the kingdom of God? Jesus spent his entire ministry explaining to the disciples what the kingdom of God looked like. And they still didn't fully get it. Every Wednesday now, we have sermon collaboration. We do it through Zoom now. And so Jasper and Charles and Corey and Kevin and myself, we all, and so, so they all came together via Zoom to talk about my sermon. And as they added to my sermon, as they brought some corrections that were necessary, I, Wednesday afternoon, I was like, I, I don't know what to do here. We hung up. I'm, I'm, my office is set up in my guest room at home. I went into the closet. I closed the door and I just sat there and cried. I said, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to teach your church about what your kingdom is. I don't know how to do it. And he said, you know what God said to me? He said, you're right, you can't. He said, you are incapable, so don't even try. Don't even try and describe my kingdom. And he reminded me of John chapter 21, verse 25, one of the last things that John says in his gospel. Now, there are also many other things. 
other things, not just what John has recorded in the 21 chapters of his gospel. The many things that Jesus did here on earth that were recorded. He says there are other things. Were one of them to be written, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that, were, that would be written. The things of the life of Jesus Christ that declare the kingdom of God is here and it is at hand. The entire world could not contain the books that would need to be written to describe what Jesus did. And so if you take anything away from today, I pray that your mind would be blown by the magnitude, the size, and the worth of the kingdom of God. And so today's framework, I pray that it is nothing but a simple explanation. Simplicity has to be the key. And so here's what it's going to look like. First, we're going to talk about what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is both a reign and it's a place. It's a realm. What is the kingdom of God? Then the second thing we're going to, we're going to spend time in is why is the kingdom of God good news to us? Why is it good news to us? What is at stake, number three, if we don't take the kingdom of God seriously? And so with that said, turn with me now to Daniel chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 34 and 35. But as you're turning, I want to set the stage about what's going on here. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king over Babylon uh, when they wrestled control of Israel and Judah. They defeated them and they brought Israel, they brought Judah into exile in 586 BC. And sometime down the road, we see um, Nebuchadnezzar right now standing and looking over his great Babylon. And this is what he says, is not this the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Oh my goodness. While he was the most powerful king on earth, he is receiving his own glory as he declares for the glory of my majesty. And while he's speaking these words, a voice falls from heaven. It's the voice of the most high God. And he says, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. The Most High God is ripping Babylon from the hands and the grasp of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, until you know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the words were fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with dew the dew of the heavens, um, until his hair grew long as eagle's feathers and nails, and his nails were like bird's claws. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful individual known to mankind at that time, received an incredible humiliation from the Lord. An incredible humiliation from the Lord. And then, when he was humbled, this is what happened next. And let's read the verses 34 and 35 together. At the end of the days of that, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And he said, and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, 
What have you done? It's so wonderful that after his humiliation, his eyes are open to who is truly, truly reigning, the Most High God. And so, what is the kingdom of God? First, first, the kingdom of God is a reign. It is the reign of the Most High. It's a reign of the Most High. Now, look at verse 34. At the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar, he lifted his eyes to heaven and his reason returned to him. And then he says, I bless the Most High, the Most High, and I praise, praised and honored him who lives forever. He is the Most High. So think in terms of Most High. What does that mean when we're talking about? These are words that should only be put together when we're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Most High. He answers to no one. No one rules him. No one tells him what to do. All are subject to him. Every single person, every single being in both the heavens and on earth are subject to the Most High. He rules and he reigns. Listen to how Nehemiah says it in chapter 9. He says, you are the Lord, you alone, you alone. You have made the heaven, or made heaven. The heaven and heavens, the heaven of heavens. And with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. And the host of heavens worships you. He made everything. Everything is subject to him. He preserves everything. He is in charge of everything, whether in the heavens or on the earth, Nehemiah says. Isaiah chapter 6 says this, and you know this one full well. Isaiah is given a glimpse into the, into the throne room of the Most High. And this is what he sees. He sees a room that's filled with smoke, and the train of the Most High is filling the temple. The train of his robe is filling the temple and all around are these creatures that they do nothing but stand there that, that are there day in and day out crying, holy, holy, holy is the most high God. And when the most high speaks, the foundations of the temple, temple tremble. This is the most high according to Isaiah. This is what he saw. And then, and then the Most High says of himself in Revelation chapter 22, he says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning and I am the end. There is no one comes before him. There is no one that will come after him. He reigned before us. He will reign when he establishes his, his heavenly kingdom here on earth. He reigns. He is eternal. And Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest earthly king at that time, says, He is the Most High. He is the Most High. And I praise and honor Him, the one who lives forever. The kingdom of God must first and foremost be considered a reign of the Most High. It is His reign. Second, the kingdom of God is a realm, it's a place. It's a place in which all are subject to the authority of the Most High. Look at verse 34. Well, let's read them both. Verse, verse 34 and 35 again. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The kingdom of heaven is a place. It is a realm. And everyone 
in his kingdom is subject to his rule, whether they are a part of the host of heaven or they are one of the inhabitants of the earth. All are subject to his rule and his reign and his authority. There are two kinds of people, though, on earth, and we're going to come to this a little later. There are those on earth that, that have humbled themselves under the reign of the Most High. And then there are those that refuse to humble themselves under the reign, under his authority. But here's the deal, folks. Whether, whether people choose to bow their knee in submission to his reign and his rule, whether or not they choose to, he still reigns and he still rules. He rules over the host of heaven and he rules over thus, those of us who are here on earth. And while this place is, and this is where it gets sticky and tricky for me, while this place is a, is a, is a place that's full of heavenly beings and, and us here on earth, it is at one time, it is an eternal kingdom, and yet at the other, in, in, in another sense, we are experiencing it here on earth, which is subject to time. But I believe it's important for us to remember that He is the Most High who lives forever. His reign is forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His dominion, His reign, and His rule, everlasting everlasting, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So while it is eternal, it is everlasting, we experience his reign and his rule from Adam to us until he returns and does away with time. It's his reign and it's his realm, it's his place. That is what the kingdom of God is. And so let me put it more simply. Um, I have two individuals that have provided definitions for this that I think might bring some clarity if it's muddy right now for you. Patrick Schreiner says this, the king's power, description of the, of the kingdom of God, it's the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. The king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Graham Goldsworthy worthy says it this way, God's people in God's place, under God's rule. But understand this. While we are his people, in his place, it is established and governed by his rule. His rule. That's the kingdom of God. And I would challenge you right now, while this is just a, this is just a nutshell description, like an acorn, like a nutshell description of what the the vastness of this eternal kingdom is, my challenge to you is take a dive into scripture and see what it has to say about the kingdom of God. All right? So why is the kingdom of God good news to us? Why is it so important? Here's why. Because the most high rules over heaven and earth and he does as he pleases over the whole of his creation. He's reigning and ruling and he does, he does as he pleases. Look at verse 35. All of the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. That stings, doesn't it? Every single inhabitant of the earth is accounted as nothing. Mankind is accounted as nothing. And God does according, he does according to his will. Among where? All the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, us. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
All the inhabitants are nothing. The Most High does according to His will. What's that? It kind of stings to be told that you're nothing, doesn't it? The establishment of His kingdom here on earth was, this is something very important for us to remember. God brought His kingdom to earth. He established His kingdom here on earth when He created Adam and Eve. And when He created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, mankind, decided that they wanted to do things on their terms that they didn't want to be in full submission to the Most High. And so they brought sin into the world. The world became broken. His kingdom, his kingdom became corrupted. And he took man and he said, I can't dwell with you anymore. I meant to be in loving, everlasting relationship with you, but you've corrupted that. And he pushed man out of his kingdom. And from Adam... To us today, and until Christ returns, the sin of mankind is corrupting this world through his pride and arrogance. Listen to how Jeremiah 17, 9 says it. He says of us, he says of mankind, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand? That's the state of our heart. That is, the, that is our heart that we have, that we are born into this world with. Romans chapter 3, 10 and 11 says it probably as clear as any. When, when God says the inhabitants of the earth are as nothing, or they're accounted as nothing to me, this is why. Because none is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. Not one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And while mankind is subject to the reign of the Most High, all have been separated from being in relationship with Him. We've been, we've been removed from His kingdom and denied even to have the smallest place in the kingdom of God. And the Most High knew that something had to be done. Quick recap, God the Most High created man. We are the crown. We were to be the crown of his creation. Meant to exist in relationship with him, in and a part of his creation, his kingdom. Mankind broke the relationship, was kicked out of the kingdom, and had served him and has served himself ever since. So clearly, Mankind deserves nothing more than to be told you are nothing in the sight of the Most High God. And then, and then, but when the time, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God knew he had to do something. He knew he had to do something. When the fullness of time came, God in the form of his son, he came to this earth, born of a woman. 
in order to redeem us and make a way for us to be back in right and meaningful and loving and everlasting relationship with his creator, with God, with the Almighty. When the fullness of time came, and it came, and John the Baptist declared it, he began to pave the way for the kingdom to come when he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is about to come. And if I'm, and if I'm one of the, if I'm, if I'm one of the Jews and I'm hearing someone declare this, if I'm someone that has been looking for and longing for the coming of the Messiah, I would wonder what this means. When John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then the kingdom comes, Jesus is here. The access point for the kingdom, Jesus, he comes and he begins his ministry here on earth by declaring the very same thing. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is saying, I am here now. I am here now. He proclaimed, he spent his ministry proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And as he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he starts describing what the kingdom of heaven looks like and what, what it takes to be in the kingdom. And so Jesus begins to describe, as he is on the Sermon of the Mount, what it means, what the kingdom looks like. And he starts with these beatitudes. This is what your attitude is supposed to look like, bringing correction to wrong thinking. And one of those, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, he says, is a place of righteousness. And hardship's going to come as, as a result of you living a righteous life before others. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness. And then he goes on to say, But unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you have no way. You're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the Pharisees and the scribes were considered to be the most righteous in their day. And, and Jesus is saying, Unless you exceed, your, your righteousness exceeds theirs. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm starting to wonder, well, how in the world do you get into the kingdom of heaven? He goes on to say, hey, maybe you haven't been a murderer, but there's no place in the kingdom of heaven for the one. There's no place for the, in the kingdom of heaven for the one who is even angry, who struggles with anger. Maybe you haven't committed adultery, but I can tell you this, the one who even thinks lustfully of another. There's no room in the kingdom of heaven for that kind of thinking. In the kingdom, there is only one way to be out of a marriage, and it's unrepentant sexual immorality. That's the only reason, that's the only way you can divorce. He goes on to say, you can't retaliate. In the kingdom of heaven, there's no retaliation. If someone slaps you on the cheek, you're to turn to him the other. Never repay evil for evil. Love your enemies and do good to them. Open your purse strings and give to the needy. Here's what he's saying. Good people, moral people, those who are whitewashed on the outside and look great on the outside but are, but are sick on the inside, good people, moral people, do not get into the kingdom of heaven. This is why the kingdom of heaven is such a big deal to us, church. How in the world then are we able to enter into the kingdom of heaven and back into right relationship? 
with our Father, our Creator. There's only one way. There's only one way into the kingdom of heaven. Left to yourself, you will never, ever get there. That's the message that Jesus preached on the ser- in the Sermon on the Mount. You can't meet its requirements. You'll never be there. And Jesus says, here's how you do it. Let's make it simple. He says, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, believe in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Believe in the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Receive me, Jesus says. And the truth of what I've done for you, that's how you get into the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way. There's only one access point. He stands at the door and knocks. And if, he, and, if, and if you come and you open the door, you walk into relationship with him, he sets you on this narrow path straight into the kingdom of heaven. He takes you off of this wide path that leads to destruction and he puts you on the narrow one, walking side by side with you right into the kingdom of heaven. And so here's what's at stake if we do not regard the kingdom. I'm sure you heard that the kingdom of God has been described as being a both now and not yet. Now, now, because Christ has come, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he has come, his, 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 um, what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection, the truth of that message has made a way for us to be in the, in, the, in the eternal kingdom right now as we are right here. So the kingdom has come now. It is now. And while, and while it is currently not... Well, let me, let me read a quote to you by a New Testament professor at the Denver Seminary. His name is Craig Blomberg. He says this. This is the way he explains it. The kingdom is not currently a geographical entity, but it manifests itself in space and time in this, in this, in the community of those who accept the message that John and Jesus proclaimed. That's the kingdom that is here now. It's not a geographical location. It is, it is the one whom the Holy Spirit has been poured out on, you, if you have received the Holy Spirit, are the kingdom of heaven. That's what you are. You are a part of the community of those who accept the message that John and Jesus proclaimed, and that is the kingdom of heaven is here in the form of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, church, this is where you want to be. This is where you want to be. Now think about this. Think about you are here now and you are not in the kingdom of heaven and you have everything that's going on around you to deal with right now. Remove yourself from the kingdom of heaven. You don't have relationship with Christ. You don't have the one whose sovereign rule is over all things, even coronavirus. You don't have him in your life. You don't have brothers and sisters in Christ to hold your hand and provide you with words of encouragement to pray for you. You aren't capable of experiencing the joy and the peace and the meaningful relationship that comes from being in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is expressed through those who are in relationship with Jesus. It is here. 
I'll, I'll tell you what, I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine what it would be like right now to have to, have to wrestle over everything that's going on on my own. I am so thankful for the prayers. I'm so thankful for the encouragement. I'm so thankful for, for the hand-holding that I receive from other brothers and sisters who are in the kingdom. That's, that's now. You would forfeit the now if you don't receive the truth of the kingdom, Jesus. You forfeit the now, the joy and the peace and the meaningful relationship. But you also would forfeit the not yet, the part of the kingdom that has yet to come. God's kingdom has yet to fully come. And for now, we see dimly in a mirror, but the day is coming where we're going to see in the fullness. We're going to be know, know Christ as fully as we are known right now. In Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5, man, this is it. If this doesn't get you fired up about being in the kingdom, then you need to humble yourself before the Lord and declare him to be the most high because he will make this exciting for you. Then I saw, John says, in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. His kingdom is coming, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is what he said, and here it is. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will, will be with them as their God. That's when his kingdom will come in its fullness. The dwelling place of God comes in, in, in its fullness and is with man. It does away with all the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the sickness. He wipes every tear from every eye. Death will be no more and neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. We have so much to be thankful for as we experience the kingdom of God right now, as we are in relationship with each other. But the day is coming. The day is coming where his kingdom is going to come in its fullness and make everything right and make everything right. Let's go back to the kingdom of God and being placed in it. All, all, all are subject to his authority. Those that are in the heavens the host of heavens, but then remember the two categories of those here on earth. The ones who humble themselves under the reign of the Most High, they have access to relationship with the Most High and His family. They have the ability to experience real joy that comes through the real gospel, Jesus. And then there are those who reject His authority in their lives. They are still under His rule, and how they are tormented. Oh my goodness. They are still under his rule, but are made miserable because they reject the reign and the rule of the Most High. They still want things their way. They still want things to be done their way. They still want to say, Lord, they want to say, shake their fist at him for permitting something like the coronavirus to come. Why aren't things going the way I want them to? They gnash their teeth. 
because they are miserable as they reject the authority of the Most High. And so here's my question for you. I know I've referred to you as the church. And you are the church if you've received the truth of who Jesus is and he has brought you into his kingdom. But if you are not, if you are not, you are someone that has rejected his authority in your life. And you have a choice to make today. Do you really want to be in the kingdom and experience it today? Do you want to see it coming in the heavens at the end? Do you want to be a part of the reestablishment of his heavenly kingdom here on earth in its fullness and perfection? Or do you want to continue in rejection of the one who is reigning and ruling? So which are you? My word to you today is humble yourself under the most high and permit him to bring you into everlasting and loving relationship with him. So what in the world makes this kingdom of heaven so worthy of our praise? This is what it is. The price that had to be paid in order to provide us access into this kingdom makes it worthy of our praise. Christ on the cross makes it worthy of our praise. And the kingdom of heaven is worthy of our praise because the one who is seated on the throne is the very one who gave himself as a sacrifice so that we could get it, so that we could come into relationship with him. He is reigning and he is ruling over his kingdom. That's why it's worthy of praise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am personally so very, very thankful that you have, you have made a way for us into your kingdom, that you have brought me into your kingdom. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, I pray for each one that is listening today. And I would ask, Lord, that your word would penetrate their heart, that you would bring your family comfort now, knowing that you are still in charge of everything that goes on. Thank you, Lord, for making us righteous by what you did on the cross and providing for us a place in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for the one that has not come to that yet. Like Nebuchadnezzar, I pray that you would humble them in their kingdom and wrestle it from them. I pray, Lord, that you would bring them into yours. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, come down. Let your glory reign, shining like the day. Your glory reign, shining like the day.
King of heaven to come now. Summit, I hope that that's true from what we heard about the kingdom of God and the fact that it is here, it's come because Jesus Christ has come. And this kingdom that we participate in is the one in all eternity that we will be joyfully partakers in when the king returns. And as Todd reminded us, how are we seeing this? Are we, are we trying to build a kingdom here of our own making? Or are we waiting for and anticipating and joyfully 
looking forward to that which is coming that will never be taken away. Church, what a great reminder to us of that reality. And hey, as we think about even throughout this week and get ready for Easter, talking about the King himself who has come and who died and rose again, another opportunity for our hearts to be reminded again of the glories of the King and the kingdom that are here and will be here. Hey, I want to remind you, Good Friday is coming up this week at the end. On Friday, 7.30 will be the time when we start live streaming it. Please go to summitwestolive.org forward slash live. That will direct you to where the um, service will be streamed. But remember, we're taking communion together, so be ready and preparing for those elements now. And church, be in prayer as we anticipate this week together. We will see you Friday and also on Sunday. Church, remember always, you are loved.